Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I went to a conference where one of the leaders of my area, my denomination, was speaking. And this was a conference for youth pastors. Now, this individual was speaking on how we, as youth pastors, were to teach from now on. And he said that the the style of preaching that we had been doing was just simply out of date and irrelevant. The way we spoke to youth did not connect anymore with the way that that people in our modern or more specifically postmodern society thought today. And he went on to give us an example of how we should be teaching and preaching today. The rest of the time he spent talking about how much he loved coffee. <laughs> I, I kid you not. He even had a, a pot brewing in the back of him on a table there and eventually poured a cup and had some right there in front of us. This was truly the entire sermon, how much he loved coffee. He eventually told us that, that if we did things this way, that, that it would make us more relevant to people and, and seem more real. This was my introduction into what was a movement within the church that was called the postmodern church or the emergent church. This movement saw themselves as a reformation movement, meaning that that they wanted to change the way the church as a whole did things and and the way that that Christians saw Christianity and and their churches. The thought was that society had grown and changed so much that if we as a church didn't change with it, that it would be irrelevant and die. Instead of being rigid and in opposition to society and societal trends, we should embrace it and incorporate it into our churches. This, this was their thinking. So what they proposed was what they called seeker-sensitive churches. Now, these these churches were designed for the unchurched or those that had turned away from the church. Many designed their churches for a society that is increasingly reliant on their feelings. Their argument was that we needed to make the church a place that feels good so that people will want to come and, and stay and, and hear about God. Now, in order to do this, church was completely restructured. <laughs> I mean, really, almost literally completely restructured. Some would divide their services up into different rooms. Um, you, you, you could go to these, these different rooms as you wish and, and get what you wanted from them. One room, uh, someone would be giving a speech about something spiritual, let's say. Uh, they would oftentimes do it from behind a curtain, so you couldn't see them. It, it was thought that that this made them seem less prominent and, and harder to see them as more important than anyone else. Another room would be set aside for worship, but oftentimes 
it was not really the type of worship that you and I are necessarily accustomed to. They would acknowledge that there are many forms of worship. And so there would be like these easels and paints and pencils and and so on, so that you could create a painting or a drawing as your worship. It wasn't music that was the vehicle for worship. It was this creative, you know, type of, of paintings or, or drawings. And yet another room was for prayer. And there might be a wooden cross in the center of the room where you, you might write something on a piece of, of paper and nail it to the cross. All of these things were designed to create a sense of good feelings and to en- encourage non-believers to come. There was never to be any talk, and I mean never to be any talk of absolutes. And really, ironically, <laughs> this is very ironic in, in, in my mind, because they were very absolute about there be no talk of absolutes. There was no discussion of sin or the things that we should not do. This is all meant, this all meant that you could not talk about the Bible as being absolutely true, right? Or that there was even such thing as hell. I mean, you couldn't talk about that at all. If you even hinted at these things, then that was bad because it made people feel bad about themselves and and about the actions and the choices that they are making. Instead, just talk about the love of Jesus and and how he was a really great guy that we should emulate. The church was never the place to point out that someone was doing something unbiblical because that might make them feel bad. And it might make them not want to come back to church. And it might make them feel like church was unwelcoming. We don't hear the name emergent church so much today for several reasons. And, and, and one of which actually is that it was really very hard to define what the emergent church was. But that doesn't mean that those that believe this way have gone away. <laughs> they are they're just flying a flag of a different name. And that name today is the Progressive Church. So what is the Progressive Church? Well, I went to a secondary principal, Brian Miller, at uh, ChristianMinistryEDU.org, and he is a progressive pastor. He said, throughout history, religion has constantly been required to reform. Perhaps most well-known was the Protestant Reformation of Martin Luther's 95 Thesis, which urged the church to reconsider their theology of salvation, ultimately led to the development of a, a, brand, a branch of, of Christianity, Protestantism. But Christianity is not alone. Movements within religious groups over the centuries have forced nearly all religions to move and evolve in their thinking at some point in history. Even Jesus, perhaps the greatest of all reformers, challenged the status quo and asked people to to reconsider what they believe and how they live. The development of the progressive Christian church, therefore, in not a unique event, 
as as it is something that almost every religion and every church within that religion has gone through. Change is necessary if we want to stay relevant anyway. And for the last and for the past 20 plus years, the progressive church, the progressive Christian church, as they call it, has been challenging traditional perspectives by asking if it is still relevant. Now, let me stop right here and just say uh, this, that the progressive church tends to, to take a truth like there have been reformers in church history, and and they twist it to say something like, we are just a reformer of the church. The problem here, of course, is that true reformers, they point the church to become more biblical, not less biblical. <laughs> so what is the progressive church, and what is progressive Christianity anyway? Well, he says... Also referred to as the emergent church movement, progressive Christianity is a movement that embraces liberalism and postmodernism. It is a movement that is considered more welcoming and more tolerant of the world as it is. Most notably, progressive Christianity believes the teachings of science and evolution should be taught in schools, that God loves members of the LGBTQ community as much as any other group, and that members of all faiths are able to go to heaven, not just Christians. Progressive Christianity believes that the Bible is fallible and that women, not political leaders, should have the right to choose what happens to their bodies. Now, this section is so telling, right? So, so as a reformed and relevant church, we are to support the teachings of unbiblical things like evolution. We are to condone the sexual sins of others, including supporting abortion. And, and, and we are to just simply ignore what Jesus said about himself, that he was the only way to heaven. I mean, this is really, really telling. And he says, these differences among many others, and depending on the church or the community, are what separate the progressive church from the more fundamental and conservative Christian church. So, okay, what are the foundational beliefs of a uh, progressive Christian church. Well, he says the Bible is still the foundation for teaching in a progressive church. That's interesting. They believe in the Trinity, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that to love others as Jesus has loved and, and died for us is the fundamental purpose in the Christian faith. Now, <laughs> this is not the case with all progressive churches. I will say, um, many deny that Christ is God and and just teach that God made him a man that was a good example of what love is. Like he was the ultimate example of what love is. He helped he helped uh, Jesus to to be loving and to be you know this example of love or whatever, but he but Jesus wasn't really God. and that's uh, oftentimes what's taught. 
He goes on to say that unlike historical conservative Christian church teachings, however, a progressive Christian church believes in pluralism, that there is more than one way to get to heaven. That's what pluralism means. Now, in breaking with traditional views, a progressive church believes those who are Muslim and Jewish and Hindu and Buddhist are, are all considered under the umbrella of God's saving grace. Now, this right here, what he's talking about right here, is in line with Unitarianism, which many progressive churches have, have really embraced. Uh, unfortunately, they can't answer the question of how all of this can be when Jesus himself said that he was the only way to the Father and that no one got to heaven except through him. So if that's the case, then how can all these other religions then get you to heaven? It's, it's not like God is the center of the, of, of the wheel and then there's all these different spokes that come out and they all lead to the same God. It's not that way. But he says that progressive Christian churches also embrace inclusivity and a holistic love for all life. From a deep and sincere understanding of climate change, <laughs> they see that you've got climate change in there, and the, the passion uh, to reduce our carbon footprint, to the love and acceptance of the earth and its ecosystems. Progressive Christian churches believe science and religion not only coexist, but complement and, inf and inform the other. As a progressive, caring for the earth is not only an expectation handed to us by God, it is an ex uh, expression of our faith. Now again, a nugget of truth twisted. We are to take care of the earth, and, and science and faith do go together. That's truth. It's just not our religion. We don't worship what God has created. We worship him. Now, he goes on to say one of the more contentious pillars of the progressive Christian church is the belief in community, that loving thy neighbor extends to all people, no matter their lifestyle, background, or sexual preference. Progressive Christian churches affirm and embrace people of other faiths, immigrants, members of the LBGTQ community, and those who consider the progressive Christian church their enemy. <laughs> see, see, if you don't agree with them, you're their enemy. To live a life inspired by Christ means to love and accept all members of the human race. So do, do you see it here? Did, did, did you see that? The nugget of truth, we need to love everyone. That's truth. The twist, though, comes in here. And it says, we need to accept their sin as good and not only support them in their sin, but celebrate it with them. So my question is, are we really loving them then? So the progressive Christian church remains more relevant than ever, according to him. He says, quote, with a church-going Democrat in the White House, Nicholas 
Christoph writes in the New York Times, faith becomes more complicated in America. And this, he argues, is a good thing. After many years of a more conservative Christianity dominating the overall church and political landscape in recent years, America has been forced to deal with and even accept a more progressive theology. This forced acceptance has allowed churches and church leaders to not only become more open and accepting of those around their community, it has provided them an opportunity to be seen as a place of acceptance and love rather than uh, and as intolerant bigots, which in turn provides more opportunity to share Christ and preach the gospel message. That's what he has to say here. So progressive, he says, progressive thinking not only produces relevance, it embraces relevance for a God who has the capacity to love and accept more than previously considered possible. If nothing else, therefore, the progressive church is asking that the church rethink some of its long-standing ideologies and consider how they may have been wrong or how they can at least improve. A question, as history constantly demands us, that will always be met with resistance, but one that has the potential to continually improve our societies and communities, the most, and most importantly, however, is a question that is essential to the Christian faith as it is one that Christ himself brought to the world. Is the church living by God's laws or man's laws? The progressive Christian church is willing to, at least, at the very least, consider the question. So, so let's consider the question and let's start, how about, with another question. How do we know what God's laws are and what man's laws are. I mean, if, if the question is, is the church living by God's laws or man's laws, how do we know what God's laws are and what man's laws are? You can't say the Bible because the progressive church doesn't believe that it is an absolute truth, that, that, that the Bible is absolutely true. The way the church should consider this question is how biblically is the church operating? But when it comes to the progressive church, you can't say that. So what started the progressive church? Well, as in most movements, they say, what started the progressive church movement was a um, disconnect and discontent with the status quo and what many consider to be an elitist or judgmental church that had strayed away from the teachings and the practices of the love of Christ. Most importantly, the progressive movement was born out of the frustration of complete statements, or I'm sorry, concrete statements of faith that tend to stop conversation and thought rather than inspire and encourage them. The progressive church wanted a more free-thinking and uh, open-minded sort of religion that promoted and embraced the search 
of Jesus and his calling rather than the church that taught and promoted a narrow-minded way of thinking. So, so do you notice here no reference to the fact that Jesus is God? It's not, it's just about the love of Christ and Jesus and his calling. Again, a- according to them, we are to love everyone doing everything and support it all. And if we don't, we are a rigid and closed-minded church. He goes on to say that this struggle with religion and Christianity specifically isn't new. As many believers over the centuries have struggled with their local and greater church's lack of uh, ability to accept new ways of thinking and doing things. And in the early 1990s, however, with the creation of the Center for Progressive Christianity, the progressive Christian movement was solidified as they officially used the term and gave clarity to the vision and purpose to the progressive Christian church movement. So they put a a positive name on it and 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 they and that name gives them a dog whistle to the politically liberals and 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 then they call it good, right? This is a dangerous movement and one that has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with a man-made theology that looks for acceptance from the political elites and comes against those that strive to live a Christ-centered biblical life. I mean, it reminds me of so many things, even right down to the Sadducees. If you were to do a study on the Sadducees, these were these were individuals who who uh, just condoned and and wanted to be everything about society and wanted to incorporate uh, so much of society in. And and again, we are to we are to live in this world. We're here. We're supposed to be a part of it. We're not supposed to segregate ourselves out. That's truth. But we don't twist it by making society and what society thinks as what we believe in into theology. That's where they go wrong. So five signs your church might be headed toward progressive Christianity. I, I really like this. I wanted to share this with you. It's from Elisa Childers. I don't know if you've if you've uh, seen. She has a YouTube channel. She has a, a blog and 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 some things. Um, but uh, she wrote here for decisionmagazine.com. She said, several years ago, my husband and I began attending a local evangelical non-denominational church. We cherished the sense of community that we found among the loving and the authentic people that we met there and the intelligent out-of-the-box pastor who led our flock with thought-provoking sermons. Sadly, the church started to go off the rails theologically, and after about a year and a half, we made the difficult decision to leave. Today, that church is a self-titled progressive Christian community. Now, back then, I had never heard of progressive Christianity, and, and even now, it is difficult to pin down what actually qualifies someone as a progressive Christian. However, there are signs, certain phrases and ideas that seem to be constant in progressive circles. Here are five danger signs to watch for in your church. Number one, there is a lowered view 
of the Bible. One of the main differences between progressive Christianity and historic Christianity is its view of the Bible. Historically, Christians have viewed the Bible as the Word of God and authoritative for our lives. Progressive Christianity generally abandons these terms, emphasizing personal belief over Bible mandate. So comments that you might hear uh, with this type of thinking is, the Bible is a, a human book, or I disagree with the Apostle Paul on this issue. You hear that a lot. Or, quote, the Bible condones immorality, so we are obligated to reject what it says in certain places. Number two, feelings over facts. In progressive churches, personal experiences, feelings, and opinions tend to be valued above objective truth as the Bible ceases to be viewed as God's defining word and definitive word. What a person feels to to be true becomes the ultimate authority for faith and practice. Now, comments you might hear are things like, the Bible verse doesn't uh, resonate with me, or I thought homosexuality was a sin until I met and befriended some gay people, or I just can't believe Jesus could send good people to hell. Number three, essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. Progressive Christians are often open to redefining or reinterpreting the Bible uh, on hot-button moral issues like homosexuality and abortion, like we heard, and also cardinal doctrines such as the virgin uh, conception and the bodily um, resurrection of Jesus. Now, in the New York Times interview, uh, Union uh, Theological Seminary President uh, Serene Jones asked um, was asked about these these doctrines, and after redefining or essentially uh, denying them, uh, she compared this new way of thinking with the uh, Protestant Reformation. Uh, rather than seeking to return to a more historic or orthodox faith, she recommends that we envision and build something new. In progressive Christianity, only sacred cow is no sacred cows. <laughs> so so what you might hear with this type of, of thinking is that the resurrection of Jesus doesn't have to be uh, factual to speak truth, or uh, the church historically uh, historic position on sexuality is archaic and needs to be updated with within a, a modern framework. Or even things like the idea of literal hell is is offensive and, and non-Christians uh, it's non is offensive to non-Christians and needs to be reinterpreted. All right, how about number four? Historic terms redefined. There are some progressive Christians who say they affirm doctrines like biblical inspiration, but inherently and and authority and inerrancy and, and authority things like this. They 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 think that that uh, you know they they affirm these type of things, but they have to do this kind of linguistic gymnastics to make those words mean what they want them to mean. So we're basically speaking two different languages. Um, she says, I, I remember, this, this guy says, I remember asking a pastor, do you believe the Bible is definitively inspired and divinely inspired? And she answered, oh, I'm sorry, he answered confidently, yes, of course. However, she says, I mistakenly assumed that he was using the word inspired 
and we were using them the same way to mean the same thing. He, he clarified months later what he meant, that the Bible is inspired in the same way and on the same level as many other Christian books and songs and sermons. This, of course, is not how Christians have historically understood the doctrine of, of divine inspiration. Uh, another word that, that tends to get a, a progressive makeover is love. When plucked out of its biblical context, it becomes a catch-all term for everything pleasant and affirming and, and non-confrontive. Now, comments you might hear are, God wouldn't uh, punish sinners. He is love. Sure, the Bible is authoritative, but we, we've misunderstood it for the first 2,000 years of church history. Uh, it's, it's not our job to talk to anyone about sin. It's our job to just love them. Things like that. And how about the last one? How about the, the heart of the gospel message shifts from sin to redemption on social justice? The, the Bible commands us to take care of the, the unfortunate and defend those that are oppressed, definitely. However, the core message of Christianity and the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and resurrected, and thereby reconciled us to God. This is the message that will truly bring freedom to the oppressed. But many progressive Christians, they find the concept of God will, willing his son to die on a cross to be embarrassing or even appalling, sometimes referring to us as, as cosmic child abuse. The idea of blood atonement is, is de-emphasized or denied altogether with social justice and, and good works uh, enthroned in its place. Uh, we we hear all kinds of different um, comments to this kind of thing. One of these comments is like sin doesn't separate us from God. We are made in his image and he called us good. Or God didn't actually require a sacrifice for sin, for our sins. The first Christians picked up on a pagan practice of animal sacrifice and told uh, the, the Jesus story in similar terms. Or they'll say, we don't really need to preach the gospel. We just need to show love by bringing justice to the oppressed. Now, the signs are not always obvious. Sometimes they are subtle and mixed with a lot of truth. Progressive Christianity can be persuasive and enticing, but carried out to its logical end, it is an assault on the foundational framework of Christianity. We shouldn't be surprised to find some of these ideas infiltrating our churches. Jesus warned us. He said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. I mean, that's directly from Matthew 7.15. So if you spot any of these five danger signs in your place of worship, it might be time to pray about finding fellowship in a more biblically faithful Christian church. And you may agree with this. You may completely disagree with it. You may be on board with this. I would definitely love to hear from you. And of course, you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.